After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton. Cameron Maitland is not with me today. He is still making television. Uh, he will be back very, very soon, I promise, and you will get his wonderful sardonic opinions. Uh, we have a great movie and a great guest this week. I'm really excited. Uh, she's been in my periphery for a while. She produced uh, Jessica Jessica. She's done work with the Firecracker Department podcast and uh, website and whole community. We we are very big fans of them. Um, and uh, she's got her own new podcast out right now, which she's going to talk about. We've got Jen Pogue with us today. Hey, Jen, how you doing? Oh, hello. I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. You do a ton of stuff in this industry. You act, you produce, you write, you're all over the place. How do you find the time? I, you know, I get asked this question quite a bit. <laughs> and I think the answer is just like, I just kind of don't stop. It's just sort of part of my world now is the, just being with people who are constantly creating and and always having something on the go. So it's just kind of like a lifestyle now to just keep working and cracking at things. And, and it's all exciting. So it doesn't really feel like work. So that helps as well. <laughs> I got to ask, does it feel weird when you slow down for a second? Like, Because I always feel weird when I'm like, day off? What's that? Shouldn't I be researching? Sometimes when I... Yeah, if I have a day off or like nothing that's really pressing or I, like no emails have come in for a couple of hours, uh, sometimes I'm literally just kind of staring at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> I read for pleasure? Like, should I watch movies for pleasure? Is that something people do? I'm the worst. I'm part of a book club, so I am supposed to be reading a little bit for pleasure, but it's like, it's always falls to the back burner. <laughs> and I'm like kind of the worst book club, book club attendee ever. You're podcasting for fun and profit now. What are you podcasting about? Yeah, our, our um, podcast is called Women on Screen Out Loud. And it's made uh, through an incredible platform called Women on Screen, which is a grassroots organization that uh, their mandate is to, you know, give a platform to women on all sides of the camera. And so myself and Lara Jean uh, Korostecki, who's an incredible actress and emerging producer herself now, uh, came, uh, she came up with this idea and I kind of helped facilitate it and it, to become what it is now. We've invited uh, just these incredible females in, in our industry to write personal essays, whether it's like kind of a coming of age tale or how they got to be where they are today, or um, even just some kind of story that inspired them or something that stuck out. And so they wrote these pieces these about like 10 minute essays sort of and then they they read them on our podcast and then we have a candid Q&A afterwards with them which is so great I've listened to a couple episodes now and they're incredibly moving and they're funny and they're witty and they just provide so much visibility of like this is what it's like to be in this industry but also this is what it's like just to hang out and make things and be creators yeah same every time we recorded one or every time one kind of came rolling through Lara LJ and I were just both like what? Like, wow, we can't believe that that they're so willing to be so open and, and honest and, and share these like incredibly moving, beautiful pieces that like really help us to get an idea of where they are and who they came from. So yeah, it's been really fun. Is there a particular episode that you think people should start with or something that you, you have a favorite of? Oh, it's so hard to say because they're all so different. Um, we, we did put a lot of thought into sort of how we laid the episodes out. So we start uh, with episode one with Katie Bolin, which I think is a really good taste for what the entire series is. So Katie's a writer 
and an actor. And she, she talks a lot about what, what does it mean to be sort of this multi-hyphenate of like a writer and an actor and how did one kind of overtake the other? And it's very, very relatable to people in the arts in Canada today. Um, and she gets like re- really down deep in it and she's so amazing, incredible with her words. So I do, I always recommend everyone checking that one out, just kind of get a flavor for what we're going for. But every single episode is so different. By the time you get to Jean Yoon's at the end at episode 10, Hers is completely different. It's more of like a, a, a personal essay in sort of a story form. So it's it's pretty cool to listen to as well. So w- it, read the little synopsises. If something kind of stands out to you, if you're interested in meditation, if you're interested in sort of like to-do list of what you should do, what you shouldn't do, that's what Molly McGlynn's essay is all about. Um, so And it's hilarious. And then, sorry, the meditation one, we have um, two people that kind of speak on that. One is Marina Cordoni, who's a producer. The other is um, Lisa Berry, who's an incredible actor and just talks a lot about being in the moment and breathing, which I think translates to all industries, to everybody. So, yeah. And that's iTunes, <laughs> Google Play, wherever people find their fine podcasts. Online at, at well, at womenonscreen.com uh, in the out loud tab. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, I'm so glad that we've had this really beautiful talk about what women are contributing to the film industry because you brought a film uh, with two dudes um, (laughs) having a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, They are both Canadian uh, and have both gone on to do huge things in the States. Um, And there is also a bit of a caveat in the way we're talking about this film as well because you're related to someone who uh, helped make this movie. What movie are we doing today? I suggested Cooper's Camera, which is a a feature film film that was made in 2008 um and it is directed by my fiance Warren Pisa Noda so it's a little bit biased (laughs) (laughs) and I told him I'm like oh I have to think of a Canadian movie which one should I do and he just gave me this look he's like why not my movie (laughs) you know I mean when it comes comes down to it I I know his movies pretty well inside and out and I know a lot of fun stories behind the scenes and and uh and Cooper's is it's really near and dear to my heart because it's one of the reasons why I guess I kind of noticed him in the first place. So <laughs> now, can I ask why this one over ham and cheese? Is it specifically because of the like, okay, I'm into this guy when you saw this movie? <laughs> I knew Warren a little bit before that, but just kind of in mostly a professional context. Why it is a little near and dear to my heart is it's one of the first Canadian films that I remember making a point to go out to the theater and watch. And yeah, I've been in Toronto for a couple of years and I was kind of just getting to know the industry here and some of the people. And I'd worked with Warren a couple of years before. And then I saw on Facebook or something like, oh, this big movie, Cooper's Camera, which played at TIFF the the year before was finally coming out into the theaters. And so I made it a point and I got my roommate at the time and I'm like, we have to go see this guy's movie. Um, (laughs) I know him. I can't believe that he has a movie in the theater. It's incredible. I really want to go and see it. And so, yeah, it just really made a huge impression on me and on, you know, making films in Canada and what can happen with them and they can actually play on the big screen when you do. So that was, that was, uh, one, one of the first things I remember about it, for sure. Sometimes, for a whole week at a time. <laughs> I know, right? Sometimes, too. Yeah. Like a week. You never know. So Now, I have to ask you, uh, we're going to get into what this film is about. When you saw this film, did you know what you were in for? I don't think I had any idea, no. Okay. <laughs> I wonder how many people do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now normally I save it, like I try to find like, the weirdest or best reviews of things that I can find, like people who had like way out their opinions. Uh, there was one I did for uh, 32 short stories about Glenn Gould, about a guy who just wanted to punch him the entire time. Like he respected and understood it, but he just wanted to punch him because he was too eccentric. 
But uh, <laughs> this one I found for this, and I, I'm going to do this right up front, um, just to say oh. this movie might not be for everybody, is uh, the only reasonable way that I can describe this VHS film is the joy that a dog incurs when it eats its own vomit. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Now, if that's meant to be a positive review. This person really, really liked this movie. <laughs> but it is sort of a pleasure-pain sort of scenario because you sit with these absolutely horrific people as they descend into chaos for an hour and a half. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's pretty spectacular. So what did you think when you first sat down and watched this? Uh, yeah, I think my, my jaw was to the floor for about three quarters of the way through this film because it's very much like Warren's humor can be. It's like he goes there and he doesn't stop and there's no holding back. It is like full on balls out comedy and they are not afraid to, to offend or to, you know, they just do not hold back. Literal balls out in some cases. If you uh, yeah. have wanted to see Dave fully naked um, and uh, you didn't see Uwe Boll's postal, you get another chance. So here you go. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. You're welcome. Exactly. Now that's a real Christmas present, right? Uh, now, what is this movie about? <laughs> We've sort of danced around it. Okay. The movie is about uh, a dysfunctional family uh, set in 1985. I guess Christmas is always a special time for them, especially for the dad, uh, played by Jason Jones. And he gets a, a video camera and he decides to tape it. But throughout, and so you you watch the entire film through through the perspective of the VHS camera. But it's uh, whoever's kind of holding the camera sort of tells the story of this day through their perspective. And it's, you know, the family comes over for Christmas and you get to know about their relationships with one another. And uh most of them have drinking problems and, you know, everything kind of goes awry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start at the very beginning here. Um, this, the year is 2008. This is when this came out. Um, the cast is absolutely bananas. These are people who are on the verge of becoming some of the biggest stars in the world. So you mentioned uh, Jason Jones. This also has Samantha Bee. Um, Dave Foley is, of course, in this. Uh, you've also got uh, Peter Kelligan, who's one of my favorite uh, Canadian comedic actors. Uh, he's great. Jane Eastwood is in this. She's a freaking legend. And then you got Jennifer Baxter, Mike Beaver, Kate Campbell. Like, these are all people that are, like, really great go-to actors in the, the comedy world in Canada. How did they all end up in one movie? Mike Beaver and Jason Jones um, created it, and I think they were quite the force back in their day. And uh, Jason Jones and Samantha Bee are married in real life. I'm not sure if they were at this point in time or they were together at least. Yes, she's actually pregnant in this film. Ah, yeah. Which is why it doesn't uh, look like a weird belly, because it's a real belly. I forgot about that. That's right. You're going to remind me of so many things. This is great. Um, and also Jennifer Baxter and Mike Beaver were a couple as well, or still are a couple, I believe, today. So that's how they kind of got involved. And then, yeah, I guess I, they, you know, they must have written a really nice letter to Dave Foley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I heard that it may have been his idea to, to do the whole balls out naked thing. So <laughs> maybe they're just like, you can do whatever you want in this film said, all right, I'm in. With an interview that I read with your husband, or with your soon-to-be husband, apparently, yeah, he said, if I'm playing a guy who is going to be doing sex scenes, I should be doing sex scenes like people have sex, naked. So next thing you know, he's not wearing anything, and the camera is right on his ass, and you're like, all right, this is happening. Um, and one must appreciate well, an actor with commitment. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> 
So something I'm kind of fascinated about about this film is that it takes place at Christmas. And originally the film was called Cooper's Camera when it first came out and it was rebranded in 2012 as uh, Cooper's Christmas, which makes it very difficult to find now because there's another Christmas movie called Love the Coopers, which is not this movie and I'm sure has caused a lot of holiday mayhem uh, as people tried to download a certain film. There's something about Christmas movies when they're made that they either like really fall into the saccharineness of it and they're like warm and gooey and gross like Love with the Coopers um, or you get into this complete subversion of it and it might just be the way you're raised. Do you think that's the case? Isn't that interesting that you say that because it's so true. I'm I'm a huge Christmas movie buff and I and like I'm not ashamed to say that I watched everything I could that came out on Netflix this past year <laughs> and they were absolute cheese. It's just like such a stereotypical format. It's like I still love it. Don't get me wrong. It didn't stop me. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, yeah, it's just like such cheese. <laughs> and then um, I grew up, so I grew up with a lot of the classics like uh, White Christmas, uh, Christmas Carol, and all these Christmas films. But also um, my dad, I think maybe one of the reasons why this resonates with me too is I'm such a big fan of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, yeah. It was like one of the bonding films that I had with my father because I was probably allowed to watch that with him because he loved it so much and I watched it probably a little earlier than I should have when I was growing up. <laughs> but, um, but it like I just thought it was so funny. I could watch it. I look forward to watching it with him every single year. And so Cooper's camera, Cooper's Christmas, whatever we call it, it like it goes beyond National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 100%. But like I think that's what maybe really – it's the first time I really felt like I got to like really laugh along with a Christmas movie in a long time. (laughs) I think it's the going beyond too, right? Like it's from my understanding, this is based on um, footage, like actual VHS footage that I have from one of Mike Beaver's Christmases as a child. And they were watching this and neither Jason Jones nor Mike Beaver had particularly pleasant childhoods. I could be incorrect, but from interviews, that was kind of the the points they were dancing around. So you're seeing them sort of play a lot, a lot of that. And I think that we, we process trauma, especially if we're comedians or uh, comedically inclined, through making fun of them and playing caricatures in that way. And to take these characters to the extreme, I mean, I'm sure there's families that are like this, that this is just the norm, but it's being played to this nth degree. So you're like, okay, I'm allowed to laugh. I'm in on the joke. This is all right. Definitely. Yeah, it's funny that you uh, you say that too. Uh, I know Warren's family in particular. His dad is he's so wonderful. He he tapes. I think that might have been part of the inspiration for some of it as well. His dad records everything at Christmas. Like there's just a video camera on, and maybe people are just taking a nap on on the couch, and he's re- he's just recording them. Just wants to see everybody's faces. So I feel like some inspiration came from behind that. <laughs> Something I think is really interesting is the way Jason Jones writes for his wife, uh, Samantha B. Because in all of the films that he's written parts for her, she's playing these like super dowdy, put upon wives who have like a little spark of something else inside them. But they're just so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because... The only one who I think isn't like really playing a giant caricature is Samantha B. 
I think yeah. she's she's like really connecting to something and is really just sitting in these moments of like, I don't know if I should be with this man who is like this big doofus or should I be with his like slime bag brother who I'm attracted to? Like what what is my life and what should it be? And then she makes her choice at the end. Um, and it's interesting to see how she plays it versus how, how big and grand everybody else is, including the kids. Samantha Bee is just so great in everything that she's in. <laughs> Well, she's yeah. not she's not phoning it in either, right? Like this part could very easily be played as a, a like a June Cleaver, leave it to Beaver sort of like mom who's just doing her best, and she doesn't do that. Like everything is played with complete honesty. Yeah, and it's also like when they made it's a period piece piece in its own as well, right? So they're almost like taking stereotypical characters of the '80s, and it's their interpretation of like the way people treated each other and the, you know, the, the dynamics at home, the, uh, husband wife relationship. So, uh, I think she is, it kind of comes across as like, you know, a bit of a, a, a weak character that maybe was making some poor choices at the beginning, but she really does become kind of empowered for, for, you know, the time period and, and what she's kind of left to with her devices. Also the way everybody sort of howls around like this does get moments of like pure joy where people are having a ton of fun in between like the rampant alcoholism and confessions of things that should not be confessed. That sledding scene, I think is one of the most fun uh, fun scenes in a movie I've seen in a very long time. Everybody in that is having the best time and it's just chaos. Doesn't it just make you want to go sledding after you watch that scene? Yes. <laughs> Why am I watching this in spring? It's foolishness. I know, it's true. I always regret to, uh, I always regret tobogganing after I go because it doesn't feel so great as an adult as it did when I was a kid. But <laughs> It's because you're smaller and you don't bounce back as quick. You just don't, you don't have the same velocity, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> at fall but yeah no it's a really really fun scene and then the garbage bags that they they tie or he makes everybody uh gives them these garbage bag suits before he lets them get back in his car That's of course really funny oh, it's so great like there's just all these little moments uh peter kelligan who i'm a very big fan of um people know him as ranger gord from the red green series he was on the news uh the newsroom uh cbc's the newsroom for a really long time there's another dude who is like playing this as straight as he possibly can as absurdity as after absurdity just comes out of his mouth and you're like how are you doing that <laughs> like you even see yeah. mike beaver and jason jones every now and then like crack a smile and have to turn slightly to the left and you're like okay you're just trying to get out of frame because you're laughing but like he's just so straight <laughs> here's the other thing when you're dealing with i mean we've talked about some of the serious issues that this thing is dealing with i mean there's moments where they're talking about date rape there's moments where they're talking about um infidelity and alcoholism and outright lying to your partner moments with uh hermaphrodites like it's it just nothing is off limits in this film how do you make things like that funny like I can't help but think about the trailer park boys which this very clearly has a uh, an influence back and forth from it like you don't get the trailer park boys without this and vice versa how do you make that stuff funny what works it's true again I think it's sort of a character of them playing off of the time period when you know a lot of that stuff would be said as jokes or you know so I think it's them kind of making fun of themselves which almost gives it that sort of barrier to to be able to laugh at it a little bit because you're distancing yourself from it. Um, but it, it, like some of it is just downright wrong for sure. <laughs> what do you think is like the 
best part of that? Like, what do you think being able to laugh at those those things does for you as a person? I think I think it, to have that reaction to just be like so shocked at something. And then the way they kind of go about it, it, like it is funny, but it also allows you to realize how wrong it is and uh, how and appreciates where we've come from there (laughs) (laughs) to be like, okay, I'm really glad that like I have an uncle that probably would have said something like that back then. But he knows that he like this is not the way that the world is today anymore. And like, (laughs) you know, yeah, we can political correctness is a good thing for sure. It's funny to me how like certain things are totally game for a gag at certain times, right? Like you're watching movies from the 80s and you're like, oh, that joke would not fly now. Like I think about all the gay panic stuff in the 80s and 90s, right? Like that we just don't do that. I was watching Weekend at Bernie's the other day for work and uh, there's a scene where a woman sleeps with the dead body and that's hilarious. And I'm like, is it? So yeah so it's interesting to see what we look back on from 2008 looking back at 1985 of like okay we're going to take these things that are questionable at best and then make fun of them because these are horrible people and we are making light of that fact making light of the fact that they're they're not good and hopefully get some closure for ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah I've been doing the same just you know watching reruns of friends in the office uh on Netflix you know, over the past, however, since it's been released and you watch some of those and you're like, wow, this is a dated perspective. This is such a dated perspective and we are not there. And this episode would not have been made had it, uh, had it been presented in the writer's room today. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you love most about this movie? What are some of your favorite moments? Oh man. I love anything with Jane Eastwood all the time. Oh, and she's I, the best. She's the best. She is such a small role in this film, but it's so powerful. And just like this callback to the memory of her character, because in, in the film, I guess we're giving away spoilers. She's the grandma and grandma gets sent to bed pretty early. And she's just hilarious with her delivery for the five minutes that she's on screen. Um, and you never see her again. And I know th- I heard the reason behind that is because they could only get Jane Eastwood out for a day. So <laughs> like, okay, we have to do what we with this part. So, um, but there's a callback to it later in the film. They stuff some turkey underneath grandma's bedroom door so that she can have some food. And it's just hilarious because you can just picture the the face that she would be making when when this like crazy incident is happening and it's so funny but the the whole entire film is full of callbacks and you can watch it every single year and I've like I'm I've probably seen it over a dozen times by now because it's definitely a staple in this household now (laughs) and um it's one of Warren's favorite movies that he's ever made so it's (laughs) we we have friends that just want to watch it all the time and and He'll never say no because he loves watching it as well. And um, also they do uh, annual screenings. They've done annual screenings at the Royal for the last couple of years as well um, to celebrate its 10th year anniversary. So we've been watching it a lot. And every time I watch it, I see something new, something that I didn't catch before. It's just riddled with jokes like the the writing is is pretty phenomenal. <laughs> it's clearly made with care, attention, and um, with joy. Like, there's a weird joy in this film. Everybody is having a lot of fun. And often when you see people who, like, used to do sketch, you know, uh, they get their opportunity to make a film. And they made Ham and Cheese first uh, in 2004, and then they made this. And there's, there's just so much, like, clear understanding of structure and how a joke works and how callbacks work that these guys just show over and over again how good they are and 
and why they would go on to, you know, create television shows together and make other things. Because it's just so beautifully crafted instead of just let's give a bunch of guys some wigs and see what happens. Yeah, big time. Yeah. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of that set, like at all times, because it looked like they literally just got together and had the best time of their life and done like the most outrageous things that they could do. Like it's it's. It's very well crafted and very well put together. In a lot of the interviews, and this always makes me roll my eyes, interviewers were asking uh, Warren and um, Jason Jones and Mike uh, about why this was such a quintessential Canadian film. You know, it's so Canadian. This is just the most Canadian movie. Why did you make it so Canadian? And I really hate that question. I think it's really stupid because after two and a half years of doing a Canadian film podcast, I can tell you there's really no such thing as anything that makes a film Canadian. And I can't help but think it's because people have hockey hair and they go sledding at one point. Is there anything in this that says it's a Canadian movie to you? That's a really interesting question. Um, not really, I don't think, which is which is great and refreshing in a sense. Like, you know, it is set in I can't, it, where is it set? I'm not even sure I know. It's like Hamilton-y kind of, I think. Warren and Jason are from Hamilton. So that's where they were born and raised and where they met. So yeah, it's just, it's relatable in the fact that it looks like, you know, the same area that I kind of grew up in and, and frequent all, all the time. But yeah, it, it doesn't hammer across that it's Canadian too much to me. I don't think it's not something that I think about, except for maybe some of the accents and, you know, <laughs> some of the sort of redneck callbacks with the the uncles and things like that. But it, yeah, watch if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, definitely watch it with caution if you. <laughs> it's not for the conservative or fainted heart or those who only really like to watch, you know, a Christmas Chronicles princesses at you know getting married at that type of thing. It's very different from that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's but it's really funny and it re- like you'll just have a good time. I've got friends who you know after they found out that Warren and I were together, I they brought up that movie and had no idea that he was attached to it. And have like, I have a friend, it's their tradition that they watch it every single Christmas with their friends and oh, just howl while they watch it. Like there's just so much funny, funny stuff in this. So uh, put it on your list for, for next year if you haven't seen it already, but yeah, maybe check in with your grandma if she's going to be there or not first. <laughs> or, you know, if you got a grandma like my grandma was, she would howl at these points. So, you know, grandma had a raunchier sense of humor yeah. than I did. Our grandmas sound like they might be different people. Totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your grandma from? Mine's from, like, middle of nowhere Winnipeg. Uh, mine's from Ohio originally. Okay. <laughs> so maybe not too different, yes. but uh, still corn-fed all around? You know, maybe I should give her a chance and actually just, like, play it for her and see how it actually goes rather than to jump conclusions. <laughs> Jane Eastwood is a Canadian uh, film icon. You yeah. can be like, she's in one of our greatest films. Of course, yes. <laughs> awesome. Funny. So how do people find your work? You can follow me on social media. I'm at Jen Pogue. Uh, I post pretty frequently about a lot of stuff. You can check out some of the films that I've made in the past couple of years. Um, they're all on IMDb. And uh, oh, one of my first short films, Time Out, that I produced and I asked Act in as well is now uh, streaming on NSI Canada. So that's available for the viewing if you want to take a look at that. I don't know, reach out and ask if you want to go for a coffee because I'm usually down for that. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. I just want to meet people. This is a big, beautiful world. Yeah, just, I don't know, 
let's go sit on a patio when the weather's nice. How about that? <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, so for me, uh, you can find me on the Twitter's at Shrimpton. That's the masculine Shrimpton over there. You can come talk to the show on Twitter. That is at RCM Pod. Uh, you can find us there. Shout out to Jen Gorman this week, uh, who also works for Blood in the Snow Film Festival. She is awesome. We are very big fans of Jen. Yeah, she's she's dynamite. And that girl does not stop walk, uh, working. She works very, very hard. Yeah, congratulations to Blood in the Snow, who just completed their spring tour. I heard there was lots of great films this year. And they traveled to Peterborough, Kitchener, Ottawa, I think maybe one other place to bring the, the films kind of outside of the city into a, a further audience. So I thought that was really cool and smart of them. They're making Canada a little bit smaller. It's great. Exactly. Bringing us all together. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. This was really fun. My pleasure. Do you want to go get a moose head? I'd love to. Let's do it. Great. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.